Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are thrilled to be joined by our, our draft expert, the longtime third Pelton brother, our inaugural live show guest, and uh, now, now noted trader, Danny Kelly of The Rigger. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again. Uh, it's my pleasure. We really wanted you to be a part of the live show we're doing on April 22nd. Sadly, the timing didn't work out, but uh, we're able to get you on for the podcast anyway. And hopefully, hopefully we can hear from you during that live show. That's our, that's our thought somehow. I like that. Just a little uh, just nugget there to try to tease it a little bit. Yeah. So tickets still on sale for that one. $10 Friday, April 22nd at Bad Bar in Queen Anne. But uh Today, our focus, obviously, the, the draft from the Seahawks perspective, and we're lucky to have somebody who knows the draft as well as anyone uh, as a focal point of your coverage to the ringer. Obviously, know the Seahawks dating back to when you were a Seahawks fan back in the day at some point. It's unclear when that was lost. <laughs> it's still there somewhere. It's buried deep. <laughs> it, it, we, we could hear it in yeah. the sigh you gave the other day on the Man to Man podcast <laughs> when asked about your faith in Pete Carroll and John Schneider building a uh, rebuilding a competitive team without Russell Wilson after that trade. I can't hide it. It's like one of those things that just kind of comes out. Sometimes you, you try and like, you know, pretend to be to, to not care or whatever, but it's still there somewhere. Right. Well, the thing we wanted to start out doing today is kind of talking about what from the Seahawks perspective, their draft board might look like, and maybe how that compares to, we have your big board at the ringer along with your mock draft. And then that maybe helps inform, you know, if various scenarios play out, who's the guy at the top of the board when they get to pick nine. Mm -hmm. And also I think maybe who is Seahawks fans, we should be hoping gets drafted ahead of the Seahawks, which I mean, to talk about this generally, maybe feels like not a lot of guys because it does feel yeah. like the top 10 matches up pretty well with the positions where they have needs partially because they have a lot of needs. Yeah. I, I was actually going to say, cause you know, you, you asked if I could put that together before and I'm like, I don't really have to change my actual big board all that much. Um, I'm going to have a new update for the big board coming out on Monday. Um, so oh. I'm probably looking at it slightly different than what you're looking at. In fact, I'll pull up the one that's online, but like it, it's pretty similar. I think like if anything, the Seahawks want like an early run on receivers or something like that. So like you could have, um, or potentially a couple quarterbacks go early. Like that would certainly help what they're doing. Um, of course they do need a quarterback. So that would be, I guess, assuming that they wouldn't take a quarterback in number nine, which I'm kind of assuming at this point is going to be the case, but you know, they are a wild card when it comes to like trying to figure out what they're going to do. Um, but I would guess right now they're trying to focus on not a quarterback, kind of get the foundation set and see where it goes from there but it really wouldn't be all that different for i think the seahawks based on what i've got on my big board it's just like edge tackle corner um defensive tackle potentially even though i probably wouldn't like love if they picked a defensive tackle at number nine just because of like positional value but it, it wouldn't surprise right. me if they did that um and then I'm just trying to look down my list and see if like there's anybody that I would like move way, way up for them. Probably not. Like, honestly, you know, throw out the receivers because I bet they won't pick a receiver in the top 10. Take Unless. out Kyle Hamilton. Wow. Yeah. You never Unless. know. Um, take out Kyle Hamilton just based on the fact that they're paying two safeties already. And 
they've spent the last two first round picks on a safety already. Um, and then other than that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty close. I, I, I really like if a tackle falls to them at number nine, like that would be probably like my ideal scenario, but I also really like the corners and, and there's several edge guys there. Yeah. I mean, I think the edge guys are an interesting place to start because number one on this incarnation of your big board, I don't know if that's still going to be the same uh, by the time that people listen to this on Monday is Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. And you have the Seahawks taking him at number nine. Is this a case of what you're hoping to happen for the yeah. Seahawks or how legitimate do you think the chances are that he drops to the ninth pick? I think it's, I think it's a, a realistic enough scenario. It was kind of like one of those things where like, Oh, this would work out. Like I would be okay with this. Um, but there's just so many rumors and whispers, I guess, like there's just enough smoke around Thibodeau falling right now that I think it is within the realm of possibility that teams will just pass up on him. And the reason being, I think based on everything that we're hearing is he just strikes teams as a guy that is focused on a lot of things off the field too. Like he has his own cryptocurrency. He has um, he's very into chess. He has, business deals with Nike. Like he's planning for after football, he's doing this, these kind of things like off the field. I think that some teams will look at that and be like, well, how much does he actually want to be a football player? Because of course these guys like teams picking in the top 10, you, you have to try and eliminate guys that are going to be busts. You don't want to have a bus in the top 10. Like you can have bus anywhere in the draft or bad, but like if you're picking in the top 10, I think a lot of teams will go for more, more safety versus um, guys who are a little bit more like, there's a little bit more variability there on how it'll turn out. So I think that's kind of the thing, like the tip, the Thibodeau versus Hutchinson say um, that discussion is, I think it comes down to like Hutchinson is viewed as a like lives and, and breathes football, like hardcore football guy um, just for lack of a better term, like a meathead, like loves ball, like wants to just like go out and like run through your face kind of deal. And I think generally speaking, you know, based on everything, again, this is not me like having firsthand knowledge of it, but like all the reports you see, like a lot of the big, big, twi- uh, big media, big draft media guys kind of like pushing him down the board a little bit. Um, it does seem like there is some, something there where, where all this smoke is happening. So I don't think it's, I, I would probably put it like 40% possible that he falls that far, but it, it, more likely he's not going to be there. Okay. So, I, I mean, I, I view this as if you're the Seahawks and you're trading Russell Wilson and you end up with the ninth pick in the draft, but you also end up with the number one player in your big board, like all of a sudden that trade, maybe a little tiny bit doesn't look as bad. Yeah. And yeah. But this is kind of, I this is, again, assuming trying to judge what the Seahawks are looking at, I feel like he is the type of player that they'd be very excited about having oh, yeah. on the roster. And especially with that ninth pick and probably somebody who, when they made the trade, they did not expect to have available there at pick nine. Yeah. Uh, Do you think that it's fair to say, like all of a sudden you kind of have to reapproach the Russell Wilson trade just a tiny bit. If they were to end up with somebody like Thibodeau, as opposed to maybe one of the tackles or a cornerback or something like that. Um, I mean, I I still think it's like a huge risk for them to do the, this trade, like in particular, like trading a Russell Wilson, um, I guess like implies they think that they can find someone new that's going to like carry this offense and, and like make it competent and efficient. Um, and that is obviously a big, big gamble because teams take, I mean, some teams go decades without finding a good quarterback. Right. 
Um, the, 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 I guess I was going to say the Seahawks before Russell Wilson. It was actually the Seahawks between Dave Craig and Matt Hasselbeck, but yeah. Right. Um, so I think there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know if hubris is the right word, but like, you know, they, they think that they can figure this out where a lot of teams really, really struggle with this or, and, or I think that they were trying to be a little bit like realistic and, and thinking like Russell Wilson doesn't really want to stay here. Um, I still think there's ways around that. Couldn't, could they not have used the franchise tag? Like, I don't remember if his contract maybe precluded them from doing that. I think um, that is, that is the case, but obviously okay. you wouldn't have had to decide anything this, this off right. season. Right. Yeah. We don't have to um, relitigate the Russell Wilson trade. <laughs> yeah. But our I think fe- that, feelings on it are very established. Yeah. <laughs> I think overall though, it, it is a massive, massive risk. I think I will feel better about it if they get a handful of players that I really like. Thibodeau is yeah. one of them. Um, you know, I think, either of these corners in the top 10 to uh, sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley. I would be very excited about that. Again, I don't really know if the CX, if it's even in, in their DNA to take a, a corner yeah. in the first round, who knows? I, so far they haven't clearly, but um, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't. I think it just means that they, they think they can get guys later. Um, and then the tackles I think would be perfect for them. Two of the tackles, Evan Neal and Icky Kwanu, I think would make a ton of sense for them. And I would be doing like, I would be jumping out of my chair if, if, if they got either of those two guys. So um, I think that'd be the right out of your to chair to drafting a tackle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, like, I love it. I want them. I've, I've been saying this like for the last like month or so, like, I just want them to like, not get cute with it. I don't want them to trade back. I don't want them to try and like take some guy that, that no one else has that high. Like, I just want them to like hit, a, hit it right down the fairway kind of deal. Like have yeah. that kind of draft where, you know, like so many times, so many times during the Seahawks first rounds in particular, people have been like, what? Like the first reaction is what can we just not have one of those drafts? That's all I ask, but who knows you know, this is the Seahawks that they just, uh, they, they don't really, uh, I don't think they really care what people think. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really like holding my breath on that, but, uh, yeah, again, like, you know, you don't, we don't want to have to re relitigate the Seahawks, uh, the Russell Wilson trade, but like they got to, they got to figure this out. Like this is yeah. a big, big first step. And if they, and if the first pick of the quote unquote rebuild, even though they don't call it a rebuild, like it is a rebuild. Mm-hmm. The first, I think the first pick of that has to be like, to me, it has to be something that you're like, okay, yeah, that's a good pick. It has to anchor. If it's not going to be a quarterback, it has to anchor one of the lines. Yes. A- and that to me is like, whether that's right or wrong, I think that's viewing how the Seahawks approach it. When do you think the last time they made what you would consider like a normal first pick in the draft was? Is it Russell Okung? No, it can't be that far back. Can it? As their first pick in the draft. Like who is just like, you're like, yeah, that made sense. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think Malik McDowell didn't make sense. Like it was clearly a risk. Yeah. I mean, a lot of players make sense at like what pick was he? The forty first pick or something. He was like thirty four, wasn't he? I'll just here. Let me just get on the list. I didn't okay. like the Dwayne Eskridge pick. I thought, why are you picking an old small school receiver in this with your first pick of the draft? I didn't like the Jordan Brooks pick. I think I had him like ninety something on my board. Not to say that I'm like the end all be all, but like, I don't think I saw. I saw maybe like one person mention he has for chance to be in the first round. Um, <sighs> I thought that LJ Collier pick was fine. Again, it's an older prospect. He wasn't necessarily like a high end pass rushing guys, like a strong side end. So it's like, you're not picking a premium position again. Uh, I hated the penny pick. I kind of liked Malik McDowell to be honest. And I think he got a, he got a rough kind of like it. 
that wasn't necessarily like the Seahawks fault and his fault that he didn't actually pan out. turns out he actually played pretty well last year. Yeah. Um, oh, but nice. so I think the process of the, the McDowell pick, I don't like, I didn't like hate that. So I guess that would be the one like going back in the Jermaine Fetty. I didn't like that pick. Um, you know, the Frank Clark pick, we all remember like the uproar on that one, obviously. Um, Paul Richardson, another outlier, like the skinniest, smallest guy you can imagine. Um, Kristen Michael, you're picking a running back for their first pick. Bruce Irvin, you trade back out of the spot that they took. Uh, what's his name? The, the Fletcher team. Cox. Yes, Fletcher Cox. <laughs> you trade back and grab a linebacker, I guess. Like they did, they they considered him a pass rusher, and he and ended up being kind of like a hybrid guy. Like the process on all these going back another year, James Carpenter. I think I've hated every single one of their first like first picks of the draft. Um, and every time, in my opinion. It's like them getting cute. Like they're trying to, they're trying to like, what they're doing is, is thinking they're outsmarting everybody. You know what I mean? Essentially. It's, um, uh, but it's kind of Russell Okung, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's Russell kind of, Okung. Kind of the, like, and, and I, not that I'm going to say that I remember the draft of 11 years ago or whatever that well, but I do think Okung and Earl Thomas were generally consensus that they should be taken in that range. Yeah. That, see, and this is what I'm hoping for this year is like this is the lowest bar imaginable just i don't want to go what <laughs> like i don't want to have to be like what the hell are they doing like that i just just if i can just nod that's all i don't even have to be excited just go okay yeah that makes sense <laughs> i i do think you're right though about the tackles and about thibodeau or somebody like that you know a pass yeah. rusher and that pick it seems to me like in a cornerback, like, look, we can all see the value in a quarterback. We would have loved for Patrick Sertan. It was taken in the same pick last year to have come back in that trade. But the reality yeah. was, or is that it's not that the Seahawks haven't necessarily drafted corners high. They have drafted a couple of corners in the second round. I would be really, really surprised if Pete Carroll, who is the process never changes coach, if he was the coach who was going to go out and say that he was going to draft a corner high. I think just, it was just as a re- reminder that they have not drafted a corner higher than Shaquille Griffin was picked 90. 90th. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair so. Um, yeah. I, I, I just like struggle because, you know, it's a pretty small sample, obviously um, in terms of they haven't had that many first round picks over the years and didn't um, need a quarter for a lot of those years. Like, true. Yeah. Um, and I think this is like sort of the other thing that I find difficult to like predict what the Seahawks are going to do is because I don't actually, and maybe you guys can have a better grasp on it than me, but like, I, I don't really know exactly what they're going to ask their corners to do with this new scheme that they're going to be running. Um, you know, are they going to want like the typical quote unquote Seahawky type corner where they're like long um, you can give up a little bit of speed, but you just, cause you, if you have length or whatever, or if they're going to go for, more like the Trey Brown style guys, like the shorter DJ, uh, DJ Reed type guys. Like, and, and they're cool with that. They're comfortable with that. Um, you know, I don't really know. I can't picture like what a Seahawk prototype corner is anymore. Um, so I think not only have they not made a ton of overall, just first round picks in general, um, but now they're changing their scheme or, or in theory, changing their, their scheme a little bit. So I, I don't know if that may changes like their thinking on, what they do with corner position at the end of the day it's probably not going to be a corner um but i wouldn't completely rule it out i mean i'm hopeful that the pattern match elements are pretty similar to what we saw under jimmy lake at, at uw and 
we did see a number of, I, I guess, a variety of, because Kyler Gordon's a little smaller in that spot, but they have also had plenty of prototypical size, you know, size length guys. Kevin King comes to mind. Uh, Marcus Peters obviously fit into that. Yeah. So th- those guys certainly work in that system. Yeah. Um, and uh, Sidney Jones, wasn't he a Husky? Yep. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I I just kind of think they should throw out that rule if they are, if they have that rule, like I can just imagine um, Stingley in, in this defense or sauce Gardner, two guys that you can um, basically just line up, ask them to take care of the, like their business on that side of the ball. Um, that would allow them in theory, if these guys are really good. And I think they are really good. Like that would allow them in theory to have more flexibility with what they're doing on the other side of the ball. They can move Jamal Adams around a little bit more, which is of course, like, the skeleton key for, for the Seahawks defense, I think, is figuring out how to utilize Jamal Adams and get the most out of him. Like, that's the most important thing. I don't know if that's actually something that's possible at this point, um, like to actually make him worth what they paid and what they gave up. Um, but, I mean, I think that's super important. So, like, maybe having a, a lockdown corner, quote-unquote shutdown corner, would allow them, like, to unlock some of the other stuff they could do in their defense. And, and so that's just kind of, like, where my mind is. I, I don't know if they're going to do that, but. I think it would just be huge, like schematically, to have that that option. I just love after going through all of these first picks in the draft, being like, none of them have made sense for the last literal decade. We're like, no, it never does. I it's mean, these actually, people yeah. somehow delude themselves into thinking it might, <laughs> but but it might work for us. Please stop ripping off my Russell Westbrook like... trade grid. <laughs> <laughs> Tobias, I, I I for real like I can't remember the last time I had like a positive reaction to the Seahawks first pick like I mean I talked myself into Eskridge last year um after the pick like basically like the in the weeks after the pick I was like okay I kind of see like why they wanted him so bad like to get more layups for the offense and get more like run after catch and because they didn't really have anyone his style but like my immediate reaction was like the process sucked he's an old small school guy who was like playing corner for part of his career um you know, at Western Michigan. And so it's just like, can, can we just stop getting cute with our picks? Like just pick a freaking like sec uh, tackle or something. You know what I mean? Like, just like hit it down the fairway. I don't know. I'm just sick of it. Or a Pac-12 edge rusher. I don't know if that's a, that's typically a thing. But it's in this actually, case. Yeah. Thibodeau is actually kind of sea hockey. That's actually like <laughs> pick the guy who's falling because people don't like his personality and he's a Pac-12 guy. And he didn't really produce as much as people expected him and blah, blah, blah. It's actually kind of a sea hockey pick, um, but I still would be excited. Production wise, is there any truth to the fact, like, is there a reality that Thibodeau didn't produce in college? This is not really knowing his actual production as Uh, much as you would have anticipated or vis-a-vis Aiden Hutchinson or somebody like that. I think the sack numbers aren't really what you were hoping. I think he had seven sacks last year. Um, And, but like, as you guys know, like sacks are pretty random like mm-hmm. his pressure numbers are pretty solid like I've, I've seen i don't have it in front of me but i've seen um like the pff stats on like pressure rate um and he's like up there among the best in in the class um and so i'm not too worried about it like it is it is one data point that it's like uh he, you know he didn't quite live up to it you, you start to worry like maybe he isn't quite as good of a prospect as people are making him out to be over the years but then like when i was watching him to do the the report on him i was just like man this guy's like he's got everything. He's, he's long, he's powerful. Um, you know, he can, uh, I think he can bend on the edge. There is some question on, on like how bendy he is, but I think he's got enough bend, um, to be a really good place. Like, 
I, I think, you know, like remember Cliff Averill, I don't know if Cliff Averill was like the most bendy guy, but he was just crafty getting to get into the pocket, like bull rushing a guy. Um, he's got that long arm stab where he kind of just like gets up into a guy's chest and like pushes him back into the pocket. Um, I kind of see him in that, in that mold. He didn't have to be, he doesn't have to be like Von, Von Miller to be really effective. Um, so yeah, I think there is some validity to it. He didn't have double digit sacks. Um, but he was also, and, and you know, this is getting into the minutia, but he's also playing with a, a hurt foot for a big part of the year. Um, so there, there's just a lot of variables when it comes to like total sack numbers they have to take into account. Okay, so my ESPN colleague Seth Walder posted last week that there is a pretty strong correlation between pressure rates in college. And I'm not sure, I guess they're getting this from uh, SIS rather than PFF. And mm-hmm. then their pass rush win rate that uh, they calculate at ESPN stats and info in the NFL. And then he followed that up with the rankings of the top 10 for Todd McShay's edges at defensive end and outside linebacker of that group. Thibodeau was second at 15% ahead of yeah. Hutchinson, who was fourth at 13%. So that is really? encouraging. Yeah. I think, you know, like I, I, I care more about pressure rate, honestly, like that, I think that is more indicative of, of what a guy's doing than rather than like, Oh, this quarterback happened to run into his like yes. area and you tackle him. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of variance in sacks. Mm-hmm. So sacks are kind of a team stat. Yeah, that too. And and if you watch Hutchinson's tape, like he was getting a lot of team sacks. Like he, I like Hutchinson a lot. In fact, in my next, in my next update, I'm going to have him top because I just think he's the safest player in the draft kind of deal. Um, I'm just flip-flopping him in, in Thibodeau, you know, just because there's enough smoke there that I'm like a little bit spooked, but like, I don't, I'm not like spooked off of him. I'm just like, maybe I don't want to have this guy as my number one guy in the draft and then have him <laughs> be a bust. But um, I, I still really like Thibodeau. I think, and, and for what the CX want to do, like, I think he'd be perfect because he's so athletic. He can move so easily. He does do a little bit of drop dropping in space, which I know that the CX probably going to do a little bit of that. Um, or at least in theory, running a three, four. And um, I don't know. He just fits so perfectly with what they like to do. He's a good run defender. Um, he plays hard. Like I never got, I never really saw that there's like concerns that he'd like wasn't consistent or took plays off. I didn't really see that to be honest. And of course, maybe I didn't watch the snaps that other people were watching, um, but I didn't really, I never had that impression when I watched him, in other words. All right, well, let's say that Hutchinson and Thibodeau are off the board. They're the top two picks in this hypothetical draft. Now you've got the choice between, you've talked about how much you like the two corners. You've mm-hmm. talked about how much you like two of the three tackles that are expected to go high in the draft. If it's between that group, who are you going with? Um. I, I change my mind on this every, every week. I think, <laughs> I think my net, like, I think I would be most excited if they had, if they picked either Icky Aquanu or Evan Neal from Alabama, I really like Charles cross from Mississippi state. Um, I think he's probably the best pass protector in this class, but there is some question about his run blocking. And, and it's not necessarily that he's bad at run blocking, but he just doesn't have as much experience with it. He, he playing in that um, Mike Leach offense where they're just pass blocking a ton you know, air raid and they're all just, it's, it's, you know, there's not just not a ton of uh, run blocking snaps in his tape. So, and he was kind of like a one-year wonder. So that's a little bit like of a worry. Like he wasn't as good in 2020 as he was in 2021. He kind of like really came on strong and I really liked his 2021 tape, but I'm just a little dubious. And he's been a guy that, that have that the Seahawks or sorry that uh, like a lot of draft people have mocked to the Seahawks, but I just, I'm not sure that's the type of guy the Seahawks want. Um, 
Pete Carroll in particular. So I like, so like if they, if they got Evan Neal or Ike Kwanu, to me, that's like, that's a great pick. Not only in the sense that it makes sense for what they're doing, but it's like, this is, again, this is the first pick of a rebuild. It almost sends me back to the Okun pick is like, mm-hmm. we need a left tackle. Grab him. If it's Evan Neal or Ike Kwanu, honestly, either of these guys, they bring some positional versatility if they end up signing, re-signing Dwayne uh, Brown. Um, either of these guys could play on the right or at left guard or right guard or wherever they want them to play um, early on in their career. And it's just like, man, we've seen flashes of when this offensive line is young, like late in the season, they were opening up a lot of lanes for, for Rashad Penny. And like, they can actually run a pretty effective and efficient offense when they're getting explosive plays on the ground. You don't even have to have, um russell wilson like slinging it all over the yard when you have like rashad penny like just gashing defenses on the ground and of course that's what Pete carroll wants so to me this all it would make the most sense i think and be the most impactful if they took a tackle um but i changed my mind on that pretty much every day between corner and tackle <laughs> if you have to pick one of the two tackles and one of the two corners who are those choices among those two groups so I think this is tough too, because it's almost like the Hutchinson Thibodeau thing. I think Evan Neal is safer. So I think I would go Evan Neal. Uh, Iquanu is a like mauling road grader kind of guy. Like he like has so many pancake blocks. He's like throwing guys really athletic. Um, but I think like with Evan Neal, you just kind of know what you're going to get. Like he's a three-year starter, started at three different positions for Alabama, like, you know, blue blood program. Um, He's really like six foot eight, 337 pounds. Like he's a massive man, um, very athletic. I just think, you know, what you're getting a little bit more with him. And so I, I probably just like, again, you don't want to miss on this pick. You don't want to have, um, you don't want to pick a Greg Robinson that high. Um, and I think I, I know a couple of people have compared a quantum to Greg Robinson because they're both like stylistically, they're just like mauling big guys. Um, but I, I guess I would go to Neil cause he's been like, known as like going to be a top 10 pick for like years. So I guess I'll just go with that guy. And then, Oh, and corner. Um, in my heart of hearts, I think I want Stingley. I mean, he's just like dominant, 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 dominant player in 2019 um, as a true freshman. And he was like lining up and playing against uh, Jamar chase, Justin Jefferson. Like, I mean, he's, he's seen some shit. <laughs> yes. So I think yeah. he's kind of like, I don't know. I, I just think he'd be a lot of fun and, and fit like what they are. Okay. So now it's nightmare scenario time. <laughs> yeah. The defensive ends are off the board. The two tackles you like for the Seahawks are off the board. The quarters have all gone in the top six picks or in the top eight picks somewhere. Yeah. Who's next in line at that point? Um, well, I think they're, so if you want to talk worst case scenario, like my, my biggest fear right now is that they're going to pick Trevor Penning tackle. Um, from northern iowa sorry uh hold on he's yeah northern iowa i keep getting confused there's bernard raymond who's from central michigan i don't want him to pick a small school tackle in the top 10 um and i think trevor penning is a guy that is going to be connected to them because he's like glass eater you know like very athletic huge frame but he's like raw there's some issues i've found with like his footwork um and so like taking him in the top 10 would worry me like taking him in the top 20 would worry me uh, he's like an end of round one type guy in my mind, but he, I think he's going to go higher because people want tackles. People need tackles. Um, so that would be my, that would be sort of like, I've already established this as like, this is like the pick I don't want them to make because it's again, getting cute, small school, 
guy who has like this massive, massive jump in, in competition still has a lot of things to clean up. He's like, basically they're taking him for traits. Like, I don't want them to do that. So he would be my kind of like, and on top of that is already almost 23. So yes, the combo of 23 and a long development curve is not an ideal. He's the, he's the vortex of the most sea hockey pick I could imagine at number nine. Did did he play well in the senior bowl? he was at the, oh, was he? I think he was. Yeah. I didn't go to the senior bowl this year because um, of COVID stuff, but I believe he might. Let me check that. But that would be like a cherry on top right there. I think he did go. Yeah. He just, he and, and ironically, he wasn't very good. I think I heard that he wasn't all that great. Like he was okay. a little bit of a disappointment. At school, so. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah. That's something. <laughs> We're happy to hear. Uh, so I, I guess looking yeah, at your mock did. draft. He did go. A lot of the players, in the, and I, is there a new mock draft coming? Can, can you tease On this? Tuesday, yes. On Tuesday. Is there going to be much change in the top 10 in that mock draft? It, Let me pull it up. I, there is going to be quite a bit of change, I believe. Um, I, I think the things that, that I've noticed, at least, looking at from the very, very beginning of these mocks to now is how much the quarterbacks have moved up, which that's yeah. meant if the Seahawks are not looking for a quarterback, that all of a sudden the players that maybe they are more interested in are going to be there at nine, like – Best yeah. case scenario for the Seahawks is that these quarterbacks do move up uh, yes. or, you know, being at nine, I know you don't want to trade down, but let's say that somebody like Willis does fall to nine, being able to get a really nice package to move back for somebody who was interested in trading yeah. for him. Uh, but like, you know, I think let's say best case scenario, those quarterbacks are drafted. They have the basically pick of the litter of very, very good players at pick nine. How much of that, this is a long way of saying how much of that is from chatter that you're hearing around these quarterbacks and is that going to stay the same in the mock that's coming um i think it's not just chatter i think it's just like the nature of the nfl you know like we always Mm -hmm. see quarterbacks get pushed up you always have someone talk themselves into a quarterback um and now you have the saints who i think are a team it's hard to make out what the saints are doing because they trade multiple high-end picks to get to 16 like Mm -hmm. Why trade a first, a second, a third, and I think a seventh, like over multiple years to, to get some random mid round first, <laughs> like w- why not just use the, that ammo to trade for like a good player that is already in the NFL or, you know, what wait until the draft day when you know who you want is falling and then use that ammo to trade. Like why do it now? Like I'm trying to figure out like what they're doing and the best thing I can come up with. And I didn't do this in my actual mock draft because I've hemmed and hawed on it, but like I could see them packaging now they have um 16 and 19 packaging those two on on draft night and going up and getting like a a tackle or a quarterback um so i think like the giants are one team that might be looking to trade back just pick up some more ammo they're at number five there um the panthers could trade back if they don't like any of the players at that spot um because they only have i believe the panthers have a first rounder and then a fourth rounder like there's this massive massive gap and this is not a team that's ready to like compete. Right. So they could trade back. Um, yeah. So I, I could, I'm still kind of like thinking, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point. I don't remember what the question was, but like I could see a team <laughs> go up into the top five or six or seven to get a quarterback bottom line. I really hope a couple teams take a quarterback early on. I really hope the Falcons take a receiver and then you have a very good chance with Seahawks at nine to have like one of the, blue chip players either pass rusher corner or tackle still there because you because i mean essentially you're pushing like three or four players down at that point and yeah i mean mathematically if you've got a list of six guys that you really like for the seahawks at those three spots 
if three players who are not on that list go ahead of them, by definition, yeah. one of them is going to be there. I think there's like actually now that I'm like doing the math, like you said, like I think there's a pretty good chance that there's going to be a really good player there. Like let's let's do the math. We got Thibodeau, Travon Walker, and Jermaine Johnson. I think have been like the main pass rushers connected to the Seahawks at that spot. That's three. You got two tackles, Neil and Aquanu. That's five, um, and then two corners. That's seven. So like you get one quarterback and one receiver taken, and I think you got a pretty good shot at one of those guys. And you didn't even, you didn't even include Hutchinson, who is Hutchinson probably the most likely going, to right. And he's go going on. number one almost yeah. surely, I feel like. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, now that you mention it, like, come on, just give me one quarterback and one receiver <laughs> before the Seahawks pick and we're all right. Um, although I wouldn't I'm not, not going to be quite as excited about like Jermaine Johnson. Uh, Trevon Walker, I think, is been a, a, a bit risky, but certainly the upside's pretty enticing. Well, um, what about Justin Hamilton is the other guy we, we talked about at the top. You want to see go ahead of the Seahawks. Is Kyle Hamilton, yeah. Yeah. What what are the change? Justin Hamilton was a fringe center in the NBA. Uh, what, nice. What are the odds that he's still there at nine, or is it is it very likely that he goes in the top eight picks? I think it's more likely he's not picked before the Seahawks pick. Interesting. Um, just because I think like I mean I don't know. It, again, it's a crapshoot, but like number one, it's a safety. Safeties generally don't go that high. We saw like guys like Derwin James fall into like the teens. Of course, he had some injury issue stuff that that maybe pushed him down. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick, I think it was like the 11th pick. I can't remember. So it's just like not super common for, for safeties to go that high. However, um, Hamilton's clearly a good player. I think it might have hurt him a little bit. He ran like a 4-7 something at his pro day, which um, – I don't know how it, it, it'll be an individual team thing, but I don't think I see a safety who's running a four, seven going in the top 10. I think I saw Daniel Jeremiah even said, he's like, excuse me. He's like, it's not going to affect how he plays on the field. Cause he's just a field fast player, but it will affect who picks him because I don't like essentially Jeremiah was saying he doesn't see him getting picked in the top 10 anymore. Interesting. And he was up as high as number two or so. Yeah, kind of early the on. Lions potentially, the Texans potentially. Um, I don't think the Jets are going to do it, nor the Giants. I don't know. But, you, like, yeah. It's one of those two safety contracts that the Seahawks have handed out are, like, one of their saving graces fr- from – and who knows? Fuck, maybe they'll just draft him. Yeah, like, the I reality is you never know what the Seahawks are going to do. We have documented this very clearly. We could talk through numerous players, and in the end, <laughs> like – you know, one of those players you're talking about maybe sitting there and we will set ourselves up being like, wow, Thibodeau or whomever, right? Aquanu fell to the Seahawks at pick nine and then they draft somebody else. Like (laughs) we know how this goes, but I do think, you know, when we talk about like, basically, like, I feel like the best way to approach the draft is more or less taking the best possible player aside from trading down and just getting more assets, taking the best possible player at the most valuable position. And I think they have saved themselves with those two, with overpaying safeties already from potentially (laughs) drafting a player who like the excess value you can get on the contract for a safety. The reality is it's not that much. Whereas the positions that there is excess value, and maybe this can lead us to another conversation is quarterback. Obviously Uh, I want to ask one more question about quarterbacks before the quarterback tackle edge rusher, and now wide receiver. And I think that the wide receiver market has transformed so much this offseason mm-hmm. that I, I do think the idea that, you know, there's a lot of wide receivers in sort of the like 
tens to 15, 20 range. Yep. But like if wide receivers are going to be paid $20 million a year for very good wide receivers, but maybe not necessarily the best wide receiver in the NFL. And obviously Christian Kirk is the outlier. Like teams need to be really prioritizing getting receivers in the draft where you can get that value from them on the rookie contracts. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because, um, I was talking to somebody about this, about like DK Metcalf, like why would they trade DK Metcalf? Um, and part of me can see like legit logically from a business point of view, paying a quarter, a, a receiver 30 million a year or whatever. Like he's going to ask for a lot, right? Like, um, how much is Devonte making like 30 a year or something ridiculous? Um, paying, paying a receiver that much money really puts like the clamps on what you can do elsewhere in the offense. Like I think a good offense needs at least two good receivers. Um, you know, you need two good tackles in theory, uh, quarterback of course helps. And so it kind of just like it locks up what you're going to be able to do. And, and this is, some, this is like an expression I've heard like over the last like year or two, there's never ever going to be another bad receiver class. Like there's just so many good, receivers in college going back all the way to high school and, and peewee football or whatever, you know, like all the way back to like when they're growing up, um, people are like, uh, kids are playing seven on seven. Um, they're running routes. Like by the time that they're in high, high school or by the time they're in college players these days have ran, have run like way more routes than any other generation or whatever. Um, and you're just like, you know, sports science and everything training, like these guys are running faster, jumping higher. Um, you know, they're just better. Like there's more receivers now. So I like supply and demand, like theory or whatever. Like if you, if there's like six good first round caliber receivers in every draft, which there have been for the last three years, and there should be continuing to be every draft. Um, why would you pay a guy $30 million a year? Of course you have to freaking hit on that draft pick. Um, sure. but I think that's like the theory behind like not paying DK and trading him or whatever is that there's a surplus of good receivers in the NFL. Yeah. Brady Henderson, our ESPN colleague wrote a group piece with some of the other ESPN beat writers last week, looking at like what the offers for DK Metcalf could hypothetically be yeah, I saw that. in that the jets offered the number 10 pick and the number 69 pick in the third round for him this year. And I feel like that's the kind of offer that if it's out there, you, you maybe have to have to take it. I mean, but is there a wide receiver at 10? That'd be, clearly towards the top of the wide receiver class that yeah. would make that make sense. I mean, I wouldn't say any of the receivers in this class are immediately going to be DK Metcalf. I, I would say some of these receivers have the ability to be, have a DK Metcalf style impact on the game. No one is in the same stratosphere physically as DK Metcalf. Um, but I don't know, like from a team building point of view, like what, it, like having a player like DK Metcalf with no quarterback is like, it's that picture it's the meme where it's like the um whatever it is like a ferrari that's like parked under just like a little crappy like lean to like garage or whatever it's like mm -hmm. you know what i mean it, it, it's it just doesn't like it, the juice isn't worth a squeeze like 30 million dollars so they can like run the ball and have like drew lock overthrown by 10 yards or whatever it's like <laughs> it, does that make sense for where they are as a team i don't know um, I'm not advocating that they trade DK Metcalf. I actually want them to keep him, but like, I can understand if they do it, why they did it because, um, because of that, like, because of the confluence of variables right now, um, the exploding contracts, the amount of good receivers in the NFL. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting, but 
there are no, I, I would say there are no receivers that physically match what, what DK Metcalf ranks at all in this draft. Who, who's your favorite of the receivers? Oh man. I'm like the, the biggest coward. I change every day who I like the most. I, I, I really like Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Exactly. I thought you were tra- all about Traylon Burks. I really, really like him, but it's actually kind of like the Thibodeau conversation where there's just so much smoke right now about him falling um, and him not being a really refined route runner, not being maybe like the most explosive athletic guy as we, maybe like a lot of people thought he was, cause people would thought he was going to run like a four, three, right? Like they thought he, they thought he was going to be DK Metcalf essentially. Um, and then he ran like four, five, five, didn't jump very high. Um, his agility scores were not that great. And so like people were like, well, maybe we kind of misjudged this guy a little bit. I'm not in that camp. I I've had like, I've listened to everybody who say, says that like people are comparing him to like LaVisca Chenault now, which just makes my, like my heart hurt because I really like him, but, um, it does, it does spook me a little bit. Like what people like, like, uh, Jim Nagy, the senior bowl director was on, uh, the fantasy points podcast the other day. And he was basically saying LaVisca Chenault's tape from college was like far superior than Traylon Burks. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like I, but also I'm sure LaVisca <laughs> Chenault probably has better tape from college than receivers who ended up being very good in the NFL. Yeah. Like, I just don't know if that's really a fair, it's like taking it's, one yeah. random player who ended up not being successful. Also and comparing LaVisca Chenault is 23. Like, um, so I, I change, like, I really like Burks. Like if this guy took Burks, like I'd be super stoked. Um, but he does worry me a little bit. So, um, the, the, the top guys, basically I just have a tier of, of like four guys that I like the most Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, and Drake London are sort of my clear cut top tier. And it depends on what day you ask me, which one I like the most. They're all very different, I guess, is another reason that like, it's hard to pick a favorite. It's like what flavor uh, of, of, you know, style receiver you want for your offense. Like Jamison Williams, lid lifter, extremely, extremely explosive, like the fastest guy on the field. He has that sort of uh, Tyree kill style ability to tilt the field, which I think is extremely important. Um, Garrett Wilson is a, he's like, I, I, I compared him to Odell Beckham. He's in that sort of style range. I would say he's kind of like Kadarius Tony plus, like, I think I like him. Like he's a Kadarius Tony style player. If we saw like the, the flashes we saw last year, where it's like very sudden short area quickness, make guys miss just dynamic athlete. Um, but I think Garrett Wilson's a little bit more polished than Tony was coming in. Um, and then Burks, like we said, he's like uh, sort of a, combination and, and this is going to make him sound like the best receiver on earth but like stylistically i'm just saying he's not it's not gonna be this guy but like he's a stylistic blend of like an aj brown versus a Debo samuel because they can use him as a yak guy like throwing ball, the ball behind the line of scrimmage and get stuff done uh, he takes carries out of the backfield and is like pretty explosive that way um, but he can also go deep he can also take like a crosser and, and just run away from people so he's not he's not on that level of AJ Brown and Debo Samuel, of course, but like stylistically, that's kind of like how he reminds me of. And then Drake London. I love Drake London. He's another guy that kind of spooks me a little bit just because he's not like a, an elite separator. He had a ton of contested catches in, in college, which is a little bit of a red flag. But like when you watch him play, like his, his movement is really like rare. Like he's, he's, he moves really, really well for a six foot four guy. It's kind of like he, he does like move a little bit like Mike Evans. Um, and he had like 22 or something broken tackles. He, he's like kind of just like a rare guy. So I think those four, again, they're all very different would be my top, top 
four guys. Um, but then there's a couple other guys in, in this class that are really exciting too. Like second round, there's tons of second round guys that are really interesting too. Well, let's talk about the second wait, round. I, wait, I, before we get to that, I just have to complain for one second. Kevin, yeah. Kevin's mad at me. Wants me to move on, but the idea, the draft process, like I, I just think so much of it is so deeply stupid. And like the, you know, there's obviously like a conversation happening throughout the NFL, but like it's obvious. And look, maybe there's a reality to it. I get it. But the Thibodeau versus Aiden Hutchinson stuff, like we understand why one player has become the like dog at football. He's all about football. It's all he cares about. But then could do a documentary about like his football life or whatever. You know what I mean? And that shit doesn't matter. But when Kayvon Thibodeau does that, <laughs> Russell Wilson's fucking doing NFT water and shit. Like yeah. the, the reality is like a football player. What is player... NFT water, by the way? Like what, what is that? This is <laughs> Mad Libs? Don't, don't worry yeah. about it. Just eat the football, Danny. Eat the football. The... <laughs> But like the same, the same way that you can basically take like this one player who didn't pan out has tape that's college tape that's better than this other player, right? And it's just like, well, there's all these other factors and you can lock into something where it's basically yeah. like this information is actually useless, but it's informing what a team is doing and is spending millions of dollars. Yeah. And the reality is like, honestly, and to a certain extent, like groupthink is probably a good thing here. You know, where it's like, if everybody has rallied around for a long time, they think Kayvon Thibodeau is a very good player for a very long time or whatever. More often than not, he probably is. And the thing you should value the most is those things and positional value. Yeah. That's it. Saying that LaVisca Chenault has better tape than Traylon Burks is just like, this is an irrelevant data point. <laughs> yeah. You can find, it's just like, there's so many things out there that are tape that one player is better than another player because it's not predictive. Players are, are all pros who are drafted throughout the entire seven rounds. And the wide receivers we're talking about right now, none of them were top 10 picks. Almost all of them were second round picks. And at the yeah. time, it wasn't like AJ Brown should be the top, Number five pick in the draft, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf. The reality is we basically don't know. We knew that they were good enough players to be in the second round, but to get down to this minutia of it, these like minute details, all these teams got lucky. The Titans got lucky. The Niners got lucky. The Seahawks got lucky yeah. with these players. And it's what we should look at it more is that you probably should be drafting wide receivers with the hope that you do get lucky in one of them because eventually they're going to be worth multiple first round picks or $20 million contract or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And if you get lucky on a safety in the second round, it's not going to be the same unless you're the fucking jets and get to trade that player for two first round picks. Yeah. But like most, uh, he, most he was not taken in the second round. You'll recall. Uh, no, no, obviously like that what the jets did with Jamal Adams, despite the fact of their like decade of futility, they, they did it all right. They got the good production. They did have to spend a top five pick on Jamal Adams, but like they turned it into equal value and they moved on from him. So yeah. anyway, that's just my, my complaint about it as how these teams approach it and hearing data points like LaVisca Chenault's tape is just like, so who fucking cares? This, this is, I have this exact like, <sighs> it's, it's tough because so Burks is a perfect, I think, microcosm for the, the draft process because basically all of the college season, um, you know, it wasn't unanimous, but like everyone was like, this guy's a freaking stud. Like this guy's amazing. He's incredible. And then you start to like pick everybody apart. It happens every year. And there's a certain amount of myopia, um, myopia, myopia, short-sightedness um, where it's, it's so easy to forget like how, what we were talking about last year, like at this time or the year before, like DK Metcalf, another great example, like, People loved him. Explosive guy ran a four, three at the combine. Everyone was like, this guy is the shit. Like this is the best 
I'm so like, I'm so excited. There was like an hour there where he was like the greatest thing on earth. And then he ran a three cone and then, then all of a sudden he sucked at football. You know what I mean? Um, these are so good, like such good examples where um, the narrative changes on a dime group think kind of takes over. It's like you get swept up in it and it's so hard to like figure out whether it's like you should or not, I guess, you know what I mean? Like it's very, very hard to get, to decide whether I want to get caught up in this or not. On the flip side, I loved Hakeem Butler when he was coming out of Iowa state. Oh. And he was a guy that a lot of people really liked a lot of like really smart draft analysts really liked him. Um, and a lot of people thought he'd be like first round pick. He was like six foot six, two twenty, ran like a four, four, just like condor wingspan, um, huge play guy, like can run after the catch, all, all that stuff. I love this guy. And then he went in the fourth round it, but there, but, but back up. And I love this guy. And, um, but there was whispers prior to the draft for like the run up to the draft that he can't separate, can't really move. He can't sink his hips. Um, you know, the NFL is not as high on him as, as quote unquote, like draft Twitter or fantasy Twitter. Um, and I remember at the time I was just like, I don't care. Like, I love this guy. Like he's good. I'm not listening to any of that shit. And then he went in the fourth round and like never played in a game. And so now I'm like, okay, you have, you do have to listen a little bit, right? Like, how do you balance that? Like, I think Traylon Burks is awesome, but I also acknowledge that I'm not infallible. Um, and sometimes like the things that people are worried about are actually legitimate. So it it's like very, very hard to like balance that. Um, at the end of the day, I think you just have to like make a stand and trust what you're seeing and hopefully it works out for you. Um, but like, I think that's why the draft is so hard is like, some of these guys are just straight up, just not going to improve and not get better. Some of them are. Um, and it's hard to predict like what a human being is going to do when, especially when you give them like a couple million dollars and they're set and, and like, do they want to keep working their ass off and get better or are they not really, you know, in that, in that mold of a person. So it's just like, again, it's just like so hard. I think it's actually really fascinating from just like, you know, looking at trying to figure out what, what people are going to do in the future. Um, but there's been, these are some of the lessons that you learn as like trying to do like a draft guide is like, how much do you listen to the noise and how much do you trust your gut or your eye? How much do you trust the stats? Cause Traylon Burks, by the way, is like analytically elite. Like he's by far the best uh, receiver in this class, but there's all these variables. Like you didn't have any good teammates. <laughs> like he, he like dominated their offense. He was like scoring the more touchdowns and had more catches and yards um, relative to the rest of his teammates and like pretty much anybody in this class or any of the top guys in this class. Um, so like analytically, it looks great. Uh, but then he, he like played on an Arkansas team with like no other NFL players or fewer NFL players than like say Alabama guys. So it, mm -hmm. there's just so many like layers to it that yes. makes it just like, I just pull my hair out, you know, cause it's just like, you don't know what to, you don't know what to trust. And you just, at the end of the day, you just have to go through your gut, but yeah. put on Traylon Burks tape and like, I get super excited. And that's the end, that, at the end of the day, like I want that guy on my team. Yeah. <laughs> Traylon Burks. You just yeah. have to draft a lot of players and draft them at the right positions. It's yeah. the only way to approach this. There's no, uh, there's literally no GM who is like, you could be wrong about Hakeem Butler. Every single GM in the league who's made a draft pick has been wrong about somebody. Yeah. And it's been wrong yeah. about hundreds of players. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, with that said, we have, to, we have to talk about, we have to talk about the second round. We have two minutes to talk about the second round. Oh, we can draft we can. a lot of players, but let's only talk about the first round. 
Yeah, we've been talking exclusively about the Knights pick, but obviously the Seahawks now have a pair of picks at the top 10 of the second round at 40 and 41. And one thing I'm curious about is of the positions we've talked about is, is primary needs for them in terms of, you know, tackle, edge, corner. Is there any group that's particularly deep in the 40s? Like, and would that inform your strategy at nine, knowing who might be out there at 40 and 41? Um, I think so. The receiver group is really really deep the corner i think there's a very deep corner group in that area there's a lot of linebackers that are going to be available on like day two and day three um there's a i think there's some pretty interesting like interior defensive linemen at that 41 42 spot um like logan hall from houston is is very intriguing he's like super tall long guy travis jones um from yukon extremely extremely athletic guys like 330 plus pounds um there's some good defensive tackles in that area. Like, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma is another guy that I think is really intriguing. So they could definitely go like grab an interior pass rusher type guy um, in that spot. And I'd be pretty happy with that. There's some edge guys that are really intriguing if they fall a bit. I'm a little bit actually starting to think maybe there'll be a run on edges in the first round. Um, just because, just because there's like not any other elite players, I guess in the first round, like you, you could see people, so you could see teams being like, we'll get a, re- we'll get a receiver in the second round um, or we'll get a whatever in the second round and, and worry about that and, and take a, an edge player there. But if a guy like Arnold Ebiketti from uh, Penn State is there, I think that's really intriguing. Boy Mafe from Minnesota, Nick Bonito from Oklahoma, um, and then David Ojabo, who was supposed but to be like Bonito, a- let me throw in there. He was number one in that pressure rate stat we talked about earlier. Earlier, He yes. was the only one ahead of Thibodeau. Want to know who my comp for him is? Bruce Irvin. <laughs> in a good way. In a good draft way. Draft him ahead of Russell Wilson. I mean, reservative <laughs> pick 40 would be uh, much more yeah, exciting just, for sure. Don't take Nick Benito at 15. That's my that's my hope. Um, or, or do if you're going to take Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson yes, for the next yeah. year picks. I mean, yeah, sure. Let's just not worry about the order that you take these players. Um, no, but the reason I comped him to Irvin is like Irvin famously was extremely, extremely springing athletic, like explosive first step Benito has that um he is small relative to the position and he's pretty bad against the run so I don't know if the six are gonna really like that but like as a sub package rusher he could do he could do a lot of things so maybe they'll use him as like a rotational guy and teach him how to defend the run kind of deal um Mafe is uh from Minnesota he's like super super athletic like well-built guy kind of reminds me of Daryl Taylor um, just like frame wise, like rock solid build, extremely, extremely athletic, but kind of like needs to be more consistent. Needs to like get more, um, you know, refine his pass rush, which all these guys really have to do. Um, but he, he's kind of raw in that area. And then the other guy, I think that could be intriguing, like, especially considering the Seahawks have sort of a long time horizon here is David Ojabo from Michigan who tore his Achilles at his pro day. So he's probably, if he's not redshirting as a rookie, he's, spending most of the time as a rookie, like trying to get on the field. Um, but we saw that with Daryl Taylor and he's looking like a pretty solid pick at this point. Like he didn't really play as a rookie. Didn't he have like a stress fracture in his leg or something like that, that they found after the draft, like classic Seahawks. Um, and then I don't think he really played much in his rookie year. Um, did, did, they, didn't go on the field at all as a rookie. Did he? Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, so maybe they, they look at a guy like Ojabo as like, take the Daryl Taylor track and he was supposed to be like a top 15 pick, but again, he's not very good against the run. He's pretty raw. Um, 
so he might not be a guy that they're really all that interested in. I, I don't know. Um, but like as a pass rusher, he's very intriguing. Okay. So that's good to know what the edges in the second round. Drake Jackson from USC is another guy I like. Um, yeah, I think there's good edges in the second round. There's there, there's a large teardrop from what you get in the first round. But like if they don't get an edge in the first round, there's a, a couple of guys in the second round I'd be pretty stoked about. I, I see that as reasonable, especially because it is a position they already went out and addressed this offseason yeah. in free agency. So. so you asked me before the show, like my ideal scenario, I think it would be OT. It'd be go tackle with number nine and then edge with 40. And then you can do any weird thing you want with 41 <laughs> and I won't criticize. That's the trade down pick. <laughs> Just to get wild. Pick a tight end after you've uh, traded for a tight end and, and paid Will Disley some ungodly amount of money. They draft um, Will Disley again. <laughs> do whatever you want. Just Look, go if wild. K- if Rump- it's K-Dot, I'm in. This is uh, John Schneider Rumspringer. Like, just do <laughs> go. Just follow your worst impulses at number 41, and I won't get mad. They're going to play great in the senior bowl. Danny, we know this is a busy time of year for you. You've been making the tour of Seahawks podcast, but uh, so thrilled you were able to make the time for us and that we were able to do this this year. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I love you guys.